0: Beginning a series this morning through the book of Malachi The title of this series is Age to Age A few times a year I like to put on my teaching hat And take you through a book of the Bible I believe it's important for you to be in the Word of God Uh, Some people who have ADHD Believe that it's only preaching if you huck, buck, spit, shout, run everywhere And I do some of that Might even do some today. We'll definitely be doing some of that tonight. And all of it. But I also believe that for the mature Christian, being able to get in the Bible and learn something that you can apply to your personal life is valuable. I don't want you to ever rely on my anointing or my gifting or even my study and preparation. I want you to know God for yourself. I want you to know His Word for yourself. Because when I'm not around, and this team is not around, you can call on the name that is above every name. And that Bible will speak to you when the spirit is quiet. And I want you to learn to get in that book. And so we take you through a book of the Bible a few times a year. And I believe that this particular book is very fitting because it fits a pattern that we are currently seeing from nation to nation. The book was written to those living in Jerusalem after a hundred year period of exile under Babylonian captivity. The people of God had been in exile for a hundred years and they'd moved back to their homeland. They'd rebuilt the temple. All was well. They genuinely believed that the Messiah was coming, was going to reign from that temple mount. Everything was going to be Spectacular and wonderful. There would be no heartache. There would be no warfare. But the problem was a problem that many of us face as individuals and a problem we face as a nation is their character, their respect for God and the things that God loves had waned. They no longer respected the temple. In fact, they would bring sacrifices of the sickest and most diseased animals that they had instead of bringing God their best when he required their best. They would bring God their worst. They were divorcing the wives of their youth. They made a mockery out of the covenant of biblical marriage. They had seen so many prophets raised up in the days of old to warn them about exile and the consequences for their sins and for their apathy and for their lethargy but yet here we are again a people doing right in their own eyes rejecting the things of God the word of God and the movement of God we're in what we call in church history a dispensation of grace and that doesn't mean very much to most of you But basically what that means is there are different times in history according to the Word of God. And right now, even though things are looking dark and grim around us, we are in what's called a dispensation of grace. What that means is God's being way better to us right now than we deserve. There will come a time, and I taught on this through the book of Revelation, where after millions and millions of attempts at grace, judgment will come. And he is a God of grace, and my friend, he is a God of love, and he is a God of the second, third, fourth, and fifth chance, but make no mistake about it this morning. He is a just God, and he is a God that has the power to bring judgment on the ungodly and those who make a mockery out of his church, out of his word, and out of the things he loves. Malachi is correctly placed at the end of the Old Testament canon. Not all the books and chronological order of the Old Testament makes sense in regards to a timeline. In other words, some of them are earlier than the others, but Malachi is appropriately placed as the last book of the Old Testament. We see a shift in this particular book because it's a transitional book. And what that means is we're transitioning from the law to grace, from the promise of a Messiah to a Messiah, from have to to get to, amen? It's a transitional book. There are three kinds of prophets in the Bible. The first is what we call pre-exilic prophets, pre-exile prophets. Those are Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and a few others. Then there are exilic prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Then there are post-exile, post-exilic prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Basically, the pre-exilic prophets said this, if you don't repent, God will judge you and you'll be carried off into exile. Well, the exilic prophet said, we are now in exile because of our sin, because we didn't listen to God. And in exile, they learned some purposes that God Wanted them to learn. You know, every now and then in our Christian walk, we go through difficult seasons. Sometimes we don't deserve the seasons, but other times we're in a difficult season because of our own behavior and actions. And until you learn the lessons God wants you to learn in those difficult seasons, you will stay in that season. Some of you need to hit your neighbor and say, I'm ready to get out of this season. Amen. But the reality is, if you don't learn what God wants you to learn in the midst of obscurity and controversy, then you're never going to be able to take that next step in your walk with Jesus Christ. Then the post-exilic prophets, Malachi, encouraged the people to be faithful to their current task and to look forward to a time in the future when God would do a new work, would send someone like Elijah, and his name would be John the Baptist, in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, looking wild, Prophesying of a Messiah that would come whose sandals he's not worthy to lose. Malachi ministered the word of God in a time when God's people had been through so much they had become lazy, indifferent, apathetic. The spirit of God and the things of God no longer moved their hearts, no longer challenged their minds, and no longer forced them to be faithful. They had become lazy the question is would they turn to a renewed faithfulness or continue down the path of unfaithfulness i could ask that same question to some of you listening to me today are you ready to return to a renewed faithfulness with the right spirit or are you going to continue down the pathway of unfaithfulness Would the leadership in Jerusalem remain corrupted and selfish or would the exposure of the prophetic word from Malachi turn them back to fulfilling their purpose? Because the reality, it wasn't just the people that had sinned against the things of God. The reason God raised up a messenger, and that's what the name Malachi means in the Hebrew is my messenger, the reason God raises up prophets is because the religious leaders will not do their job, and they have become complacent in the things of God, so they're no longer laboring in prayer for a word. They're no longer communicating with God so that they can bring a fresh word. So God had to raise up a messenger to speak to the people because the religious leadership was corrupt would the people continue down a pathway of making a mockery of marriage callously divorcing the wives of their youth or would the family dynamic be restored would the people respond to a renewed sensitivity to the fulfillment of the promise of a coming messiah we know his name his name is jesus Or would the people of God yet again ignore the prophetic word of God? Would the people seek prosperity to line their own pockets? Or would they be generous to a calling greater than that of themselves, to a kingdom visions aligning themselves with God's blessings in the area of stewardship? All of these are turning points in the book of Malachi. They could be turning points for us. In our day, I see this all the time. People don't realize what they walk into. I'm telling you, I've never been able to come in this place without feeling the Spirit of God. I've never been able to come into this place without hearing from God. I've never been able to walk on this carpet without remembering the Scripture spray-painted underneath it. I've never been able to come in here and not think of all the people that have been baptized the last 70 years and five this morning and more next week. I've never been able to get in an atmosphere like this and just be okay. There's something that stirs me when I get around the presence of God. There's something that moves me when I get around the people of God. I could be down, but when I get in here, I'm lifted up. Because the Spirit of God is here. And when I'm weak, He is strong. And I'm telling you, the church has got to return back to a passion for God. If you are, have become almost insensitive and, and cold to the things of the Spirit, it's not the church's fault, friend. Something needs to be fixed inside of you if you're going to feel the Spirit of God move in your life again. 300 years, God warned the people of Israel through the prophet Amos. In chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing. There come a famine where you can't hear the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. There comes a time when you've turned your back on God so many times, when you've rejected his word so many times, when you've mocked the things of the spirit of God so many times, you become blind and it's closed off to you for a while. God's about to go silent 400 years. Not because he wanted to, the people forced him to because of their own apathy. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to go silent in my life. I don't want God to quit speaking. I don't want God to quit moving. I don't want him to turn his back on our nation. I don't want him to turn his back on our churches, our people. But we must return. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, he is coming, say the Lord of hosts. See, how we can draw a parallel to this as they were waiting for the Messiah, the first coming. We're waiting for the second coming, amen? Amen. We're waiting for Jesus to come back, defeat Satan once and for all, take us on into the millennial reign with him and to rule with him. So there's an expectation that should be brewing for the return of Jesus Christ. Malachi chapter 4:2. but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and grow fat Like stall-fed calves. Praise God. That sounds good, doesn't it? Why Malachi? The message of Malachi applied to the church by the Holy Spirit today is countercultural. It crosses cultural lines. It crosses racial lines. It crosses economic times. It even crosses denominational and theological lines. It is not a feel-good, easy how to be rich and happy book of the Bible. I love those passages and I preach them. But this is not a, hey, have your best life now, everything's great book. This is a book about when judgment comes on a nation, when judgment comes on a human being, when judgment comes on a people for their disobedience. It's a biblical book. It's a transitional book. As I said, we're moving from Moses to Jesus From law to grace From curse to blessing It's a practical book It's a book that reminds God's people As it says in Galatians Not to grow weary in well-doing For the remnant of God There's a blessing in store For the faithful, there's a blessing For those that can hear the Spirit of God It's good news, friend Our destiny is bright The sun will shine again It may be midnight, but joy comes in the morning And it may be midnight in your life It may be dark, but joy comes in the morning If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus When judgment comes to a nation Just five verses today The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi I have loved you Even though this is a harsh book Look at how it starts Let me say that for those of you in the back. It's a tough book, but look how it starts. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? We're going to dive into that in just a second. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved. But Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage For the jackals of the wilderness, even though Edom has said we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw them down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes will see, and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. This is how God speaks to a nation at the end of an age. This particular bridge defines what happened when judgment comes. Let me give you some more parallels between what we are dealing with now as a nation and what they were dealing with. I believe today and in that day, a greater distinction between the faithful and the unfaithful is being drawn by the Lord of hosts. There was evidence in that day, and there's evidence in this day of corruption in ministries. Now, some of what you read about ministries are ungodly, hateful people that hate evangelicals that want to destroy anything that has influence in the kingdom of God. So you need the Holy Spirit to understand the difference between normal media bashing and truth. But there have been ministries falling like flies for years. Corruption, lies. All kinds of immorality. We're seeing God draw a line between the authentic and the unreal. There was a rise in that day of immorality, divorce, and the family unit was breaking up. And what it meant in the Hebrew is literally changing the definition of marriage, which we have done successfully in this nation. A heightened awareness among the faithful of the imminent. Return of the Lord for us, but the coming of the Lord for them. So all of this is going on, but there is a remnant of God's people that know what time it is. There's a remnant of people who pray and know the word of God who aren't bothered by all this chaos. There's a remnant that understands that even in the midst of darkness, there is sunlight. There is a ray of hope that our blessed hope is the return of Jesus Christ. There is a remnant Praying, believing, staying faithful Hearing from the Lord And I can tell you today As your pastor I'm so faithful for you And that remnant Because it's that remnant That's going to keep us Through difficult days All of these issues Were present in Malachi's day There was a greater need for commitment To the work of God People had grown lazy In their faithfulness to church People quit coming to church. They quit serving the community. They quit doing the things of God. And even though everybody, when they think of Malachi, they think, oh, that's the tithing book. That's one of six things discussed in this whole book. And it's the sixth thing that the people of God had done wrong. It talks about the breakdown of marriage, their unfaithfulness, their hardness of heart, all of these things. And then at the end, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. because." The Bible teaches in the New Testament where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't matter, but but when you start to see your sin life increase, your heart change, then you're seeing breakdown in the home. It's gonna lead to your faithfulness to the house of God. It's not just happenstance, it has a purpose. At that day, they were rewarding the lazy and penalizing those who work hard. When you do that, you're setting a nation up for failure. They were penalizing and giving double work to the hardworking and rewarding the lazy. When sin goes unnoticed, when sin goes unpunished, people become unfaithful. When sin goes unnoticed and sin goes unpunished, the people become unfaithful. There are some things that I believe God will be faithful to do in every generation before God judges a nation or a people or a family, line, whatever it may be. There are three things that you can count on God doing every time he's about to judge you, a family, a nation, a church, a business, whatever it may be. There's three things that God will do before he judges that. Person, place, or thing. The first thing is God will prepare his messenger, number one. Again, that's what the word Malachi means, is my messenger. The spiritual leaders of that day were so corrupt that God could not trust his final words to them. So he raised up a prophet. The word God was about to deliver through Malachi would be the last for 400 years. Shouldn't have been a surprise to them because what they were living in had been prophesied 300 years earlier. There are two things I wanna show you about being God's messenger. How do you know a message is from God? How do you know a messenger is from God? Because man, in this culture with social media and phones, we have a lot of messages going out. But how do you know if it's God's message or God's messenger? First is the word will be heavy on the messenger The word will be heavy on the messenger Me and my pastor friends We call it a pregnancy almost When, when you prepare and you study and you pray to preach There's a pregnancy that comes on you and, and it's like childbirth delivering that message Now I never had a baby But just from what Kelly told me you know. But there's a pregnancy that comes There's this heaviness that comes on you It's called the burden of the Lord And if it's a messenger of God or a message from God, uh, it's preceded by a burden that comes from the Spirit. Malachi chose the word Masah. It's used 66 times in the Old Testament. This word actually means to lift up a burden. And the King James Version translates it correctly as a burden. Malachi had a burden from the Lord. And you'll discover as you dig into that Hebrew word In this particular chapter, it means a burden imposed by a master. I'm telling you, when when someone speaks on behalf of God, they ought to have a burden that's been imposed on them by the master, the king, the Lord of all lords. It's not a talent. It's not just a little speech. It ought to be a word from the Lord. It was heavy on Malachi. The same word was used to speak of donkeys and mules carrying heavy loads for their owners. In other words, when... When you have a word from God, it's a heavy load. That's why I never make a mockery or make light of a sermon. Not just by me, by anybody. Don't don't ever be so callous in the Spirit of God or in the house of God that you just overlook it as some little talk. Because it may be for some, but it ain't no little talk for me. It's a word of the Lord, it's a burden that I've prayed over and studied. And whether you like it or not, whether I made you laugh, told enough jokes, dressed like you want me to, I don't care about any of that. But I'm telling you, you have to have the eyes and the ears and the heart to receive the word from God. It's not the word from Ronnie. It's not the word from any of these other men and women of God that we have here. It's a word from the Lord. And it's a word that has to be received spiritually by you how do you know if it's God's messenger God's messenger the word will be heavy on the messenger whenever God prepares his messenger a difficult message will be received but also not only will the word be heavy on the messenger the word will be harsh to the hearer have I ever made you mad behind this pulpit before I hope so Because if I've never made you mad and if I've never troubled your spirit and I've never gotten your grits, then I probably have never had a burden from the Lord. Now, I love building people up, that's my gift. But every now and then, you have to hear when things are going the wrong way. When that word of God is illuminated, for most of us, conviction should come, not comfort, amen? When it's a word from the Lord and it comes from a messenger of the Lord and it's a prophetic word of warning, it ought to be harsh to the ears of the hearer. It was the word of the Lord Malachi was bringing to a nation. During this time, as I said, they had rebuilt the temple, but their relationship with God was in ruins. So you can build all that you want to build in this life, but if your relationship with God is in pieces, you've missed God's purpose for your life. You've accomplished everything you can accomplish, even religious duties. But if you've missed the main thing, then you've missed everything. During the same time, Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the walls of the city. They'd rebuilt the walls to protect the city, but they hadn't protected their own hearts from unfaithfulness. Malachi chapter 2, verse 8. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, Malachi asks them, Why do we deal treacherously with each other so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Isn't that powerful? Why do we deal treacherously with each other so as to profane their covenant? and the covenant of their fathers. So, he's speaking to how not only the people treated each other but how they dishonored the covenant of their fathers, how they dishonored the things of God, the house of God, the place of God. Dishonor is a very serious thing. And I don't teach you this principle because I want you to worship me. I teach you the principle of honor and other kingdom principles of promotion because I want you to have a healthy respect for the things of God, the Spirit of God, but I want you to be in in alignment with God's kingdom so you can receive God's very best. And there are things that will cause you to fall short of God's best for your life if you do them. If you speak disrespect, dishonor for the Spirit of God, the things of God, the house of God, the men and women of God, there's a curse that comes on you. It can be broken, it was broken by the blood of Jesus, but there's a curse that comes on you. That's not to bring fear, it's just the truth. And sometimes people speak out of ignorance. And I believe that's an easier thing to forgive. But many times, religious people that know better, they don't speak out of ignorance, they speak out of iniquity. In other words, they're speaking on behalf of demons. And unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that church people don't do this, but listen, it's mostly church people. It's mostly church people. Let me say that again. It's mostly church people. I mean, I I, I preach and I deliver this message and, and I'm doing funerals and I got people sick and dying. I got issues in my own family. And then people want to call me on Monday with stupidity. It's not, it's not the lost guy. It's not the addict. It's religious people. And it mocks God. And it ain't the person in the alleyway that God's going to turn his back on. It's a religious people that can't hear from him, that can't feel anything from him. I'm talking to somebody. Kelly told me I couldn't mention names or use specific examples. She said it is uncouth or something like that. So I'm not going I'm tempted to, but I don't want to. But, but I'm telling you, man, pe- people just don't get it. Like, I, you know, I have people griping about things. I'm like, last year, News Channel 3 voted us the best place in the city to worship. We got one service a weekend. Just now, we, the best of the best thing I heard, we came in second. People getting saved and baptized and fed and people in the hurricane victims and things happening and the spirit moving and relationships being built funeral's being done and you want to call me and talk about something silly because you can't see the kingdom and you can't feel the spirit of God and friend that's not my fault that's not Pastor Ken's fault you have grown cold to the things of God and you need a fire lit inside you by the Holy Ghost that's the only thing that can get you back on track God will send a messenger. Number two, we're about to land this plane. The only three today. God will proclaim his message. When God's getting ready to judge you, a nation, a family, a church, a religious establishment, he'll first send a messenger. He's gonna send you a warning. Then he's gonna proclaim his message. The nation of Israel did not have a king. They didn't have a faithful priest at the time in the priesthood, so again, they raised up a prophet. Let's speak of the message that was proclaimed. First, it was a a message of divine love. As I said, he started this with, I have loved you. This is beloved identity. Even before the birth, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you see the love of God. Jesus was the fulfillment of the love, but the love was always there. And he says "Listen, I have loved you, past tense. In other words, I've been good to you. I've been so good to you. I've loved you. you. You have dishonored me worse than your ancestors but I I still love you, I still want what's best for you and and this reminds me of a religious person listen to how they responded is anybody with me? y'all liking this verse by verse stuff? I know my Baptists are here we go what was the response of the people? really God how have you loved us? don't rush past this How have you loved us? In other words, all the provision took them out of Babylonian captivity, got them out of bondage, got them freedom, got them a temple, got them land, water, food, all of these things, and they can't even see the love of God. And listen, we all struggle with this. Even someone that deals with death on a weekly basis and know my time is coming, you know, we, we, We don't thank God for getting us up today. We don't thank God that we live in the United States of America. We we don't thank God for our marriages. We don't thank God for the family we have left and the memories that we've made, the church. We we don't thank God. God's pouring love on us even when we have difficulties. And we're looking at God going, how have you loved us? How? How? I don't know of many things that are more hurtful than to love someone and to give your best to someone, to give charity to someone, to give someone a chance to go from nothing to something, to cry over them, to sacrifice for them, only for them to look back at you and say, oh yeah, how have you loved me? How have you served me? Oh, yeah, you hired me when nobody else would, but how have you loved me? You took care of my kids when I couldn't afford to do it, but how have you loved me? You bought me a car when I didn't have one, but how have you loved me? Let me tell you, dishonor has a price. And I'm telling you, my love for you and this place has nothing to do with my position. I walk out of here today, I'll never say a bad word about this place. Or the people of this place, or the staff of this place. And the people that do are full of hell. And they're gonna be judged for it. Because this is a grace place, it's a great place with some of the finest people in the world. And I'm telling you, if I've made one mistake, it's trying to love someone out of a wrong mindset. And I've realized just these last few years with all this staff turmoil and drama and demonized hell, that even though I've got a grace gift, I can't love someone into the kingdom of God. I can't love them into making the right decisions. I have to love them. It's the mission of a Christian. But my love doesn't guarantee their transformation. Only the Spirit of God can transform someone's mind to where they can be all they're supposed to be. It was a message of divine love. He uses two people to illustrate the love of God. Now, stay here with me. It's about to get good a minute. He uses Jacob and Esau. Now, I need y'all to pay attention for about eight more minutes. He uses Jacob and Esau. So, Jacob, who we know was later named Israel, check this out. Jacob's a liar, a cheat, a deceiver, he's a swindler, he's a sinner. Esau is a man's man. Esau was probably more of a moral person (laughs) than Jacob. Read the Bible, Genesis. Jacob swindles Esau out of his birthright. Does anybody remember that story? He comes back from hunting. Jacob wants the birthright because Jacob cares about the destiny. Jacob cares about the kingdom of God. He cares about his legacy. He understands the value of a spiritual blessing. So he wants it and he sins to get it. This is messing with y'all's theology. He sins to get the blessing of God. And Esau, he says, hey, Esau, I got this stew, man. It's so good. It's filling me up. You just got done hunting. You hungry? Esau says, I'm starving to death, man. Give me some of that stew. I'm hungry. He said, oh, oh, oh if I'll give you the food if you sell me your birthright. He said, look, I'm about to die. of hunger. Go ahead and give me the food. I don't, what's, what's this birthright mean to me? That's what it says in the scriptures. What's this birthright mean to me? So understand this. I've taught you this many times. There's a sin of ignorance and there's a sin of iniquity. It's not about morality in this case. It's spirituality. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. Jacob was the one he loved because he wanted it. Esau was the one he hated because he didn't care about it. So the sin of not caring is worse than a sin of the flesh. A sin of ignoring and rejecting God and not being able to hear from God is more abominable to God than having moral issues. Y'all don't want none of this. So You, you, you want to get in a moral competition. I've seen people who, who've never done anything fleshly, who live by a wonderful code of morality, be some of the meanest people spiritually I've ever met in my life. And yes, God has called us to be moral and righteous and like him. But if you think your morality is going to make way for your spirituality, you have it backwards. It is your spirituality that makes way for your morality. It's your connection with the king and the kingdom that will clean your life up. You can't clean yourself up and then just go through the motions as a Christian. You have your spiritual connection will change your morality. Because yes, there are fleshly sins, but the sins that really breaks the heart of God, we know from Ephesians and throughout the New Testament is spiritual sins. Spiritual sins, putting your mouth on things, hindering a move of God in somebody's life. Those are the things that offend God, that grieve Ephesians, the Holy Spirit. is a message of divine love. Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. See, God chose Jacob because of his heart. Not because of how moral Jacob was. It was because of his heart. We learn from Jacob that God's love is unconditional. The word love when he says I have loved you is the word ahab in Hebrew. This is fervent, passionate love. It's a strong attachment. It's a word designed to communicate the unconditional love of the father. He says I have loved you. He loved Jacob because there was a connection there. God's love we know is eternal. Jeremiah says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with kindness. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says, Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God's love is personal. God's love is personal. So he chose Jacob and he rejected Esau. Why did he reject Esau? He lived for the flesh and not the spirit. Everybody say flesh. Flesh. He was governed by the flesh and not the spirit. He lived by sight and not by faith. He only cared about what he could see. He didn't have a faith life, which means he didn't trust God. He looked at the circumstances and that's all he could see. He said, look, I'm about to die. Give me that stew. I'm hungry. Let me fix right now. He had no futuristic vision. He lived for the present, not the future. He wanted what he could get right now, but he he had no plan for the future. Now, Jacob was a shady, deceitful guy, but he at least had a plan. He had a plan of what God would use him to do. Esau lived for the praise of men, not the praise of God. He wanted everybody like him. He wanted to be a man's man out hunting. Everybody like him. Good old boy. He cared more about what people thought than what God thought. And then when he gets to the place where his father is dying, he doesn't even get the blessing that he should. He's late to the blessing. And Jacob again beats him. To the blessing. Does that make Jacob mad or bad? No. Makes Jacob chosen and passionate. There's something to be said for the perseverance of the faith and the saints. There's something to be said for someone who says, look, I'm going to go for this with everything I've got. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? Deny ourselves. Somebody help me. Pick up the cross. What? And follow after me. Esau counted as worthless things that God deemed priceless. And I close here. Don't ever count the things God loves as worthless when to Him they are priceless. Our worship, the songs coming out of our mouth, our prayers. When we serve each other, when we love each other, when we forgive, when we come together in a spirit of agreement for revival, those are the things God loves. When we do our very best to build this temple to his glory, not our own, those are the things God loves. So never take the things that God loves and make a mockery of them. But here's the third thing, and I close today. We'll be right back here next Sunday. Before God brings judgment to a nation or a people, he sends a messenger, he proclaims a message. But number three, God will present his majesty. So in other words, his glory is gonna drop one more time. And I don't know about you, but I wanna get in the midst of his glory today, hallelujah. And when his glory drops, the Bible says, it will be seen visibly. Chapter one, verse five, that's what it says. Your eyes will see this. The Lord will be magnified. Not only will it be seen visibly, it will be spoken audibly, which means when God's glory drops right before judgment comes, you're going to hear the voice of God and see the presence of God. So I don't know about you today, but I'm being drawn into his presence. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe God's bringing judgment to your life right now. Maybe you need Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The great news is at the end of this age, a prophet crying in a wilderness named John the Baptist came out prophesying a Messiah and his name was Jesus. He would die for the sins of humanity, get up out of a grave on the third day, hang around another 40, commission his church, and then ascend to the Father with a promise of hope that he's coming back. If you need Jesus Christ in your life, just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Yeah, forgive me of my sins. I receive your grace over your judgment. I receive your grace over your judgment. Fill me with your spirit. Use me for your glory, Father. Make me brand new. that's you in just a minute I want to have you come I'm going to ask our pastors to make their way down I want you to come and say I've made Jesus the Lord of my life I see the sun ray of hope for my future and I don't want to live like this anymore I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life if you pray that prayer you come down or tell our online pastor if you're online for the rest of you maybe you've grown cold in the things of God today you've Received a message from a messenger, and you've been in the presence of His Majesty, His glory. Maybe today you need to come to one of these pastors and say, I need my fire lit again. I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I need a mindset change, an attitude change, a heart change. I need revival. That's where it starts, Mark.